What's going on, quitters? It's another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. Today is November 26th, 2022. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. By the time this comes out, it is only the 29th, so I'm not going to say happy Christmas yet or anything. No. <laughs> but it is Christmas vibes. Uh, no weather report this week, guys. I'm going to try not to do it. I just saw, uh, however, I did see Glass Onion last night, which was Ooh, fantastic. It was good. Real good, and you should go see it. Uh, and the moral of the story is everyone really fucking hates Elon Musk, and I love that. Uh, <laughs> is that part of the movie? It's the vibe. Okay. It's the vibe. It is a vibe I am a fan of. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm watching The World Burn as now, yep. so <laughs> he's a big old part of that. And guys, today I have a very special guest. Uh, you may know him from my other podcast, Watch From Mercury, where we talk about the latest Mobile Suit Gundam <laughs> yeah. show. This may be the only podcast we've ever done that does not include the word Gundam, yeah. but it just did, it so just now did. it does. So, <laughs> All right, guys, please give it up right now for Alex Fasella. Hi. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. How was your Thanksgiving? It was pretty good. It was chill. Had uh, lunch with my dad uh, the week before, and then I just had like a Friendsgiving with a friend. Chill. Which is how that works. Friendsgiving rules. I'm I'm so about Friendsgiving at yeah. this point because I'm like, every all the Thanksgiving TikToks and videos you see are just people arguing with their family about ridiculous shit. Yeah. And I'm like, if you have a Friendsgiving, you just hang out. Yeah. Yeah. I've curated <laughs> all of you so this won't happen. Exactly. <laughs> like we did a show together two days ago and I was mm -hmm. like, for those of y'all about to have a fight with your QAnon uncle, I salute you. May your shield be a thousand guns. Right. Uh, that's from our other podcast. I... I don't get it. I I was I'm also reading like on Reddit there are like these am I the asshole posts about Thanksgiving occurrences and I'm like, man, you guys can just hang out with your yeah. <laughs> yeah. The trick is live in a different state than your family and then hang out with your friends instead. Yeah, that would do it. That would do it. So Alex, you are a comedian. Yes. Martial artist. Mm, arguably. Arguably. Anime <laughs> fan. Yes. Late bloomer theater kid. Yes. Uh, so you got a lot of stuff going on. But I do. Let's start. What came first for you? Theater, um, comedy? Theater was late. So I uh, I wanted to be a musician when I was a kid. I took drum lessons and I was dead set on making like uh, I was sort of not techno music, but like electronic kind of vibe sort of stuff. And Whoa, um, really? yeah, and I was my whole I had a whole plan. I was going to be a music producer for money. Yeah. yeah. And then I fell in love with comedy and I made the jump and. Oh boy, if I ask myself, is that the right choice? Uh, <laughs> a bunch. Yeah. But um, yeah, so theater was later. What, comedy what? was when I was, I, I started to like comedy when, when I would watch it with my dad when I was a kid, but I didn't do it until I was in college. Who, okay, so in in this like dual, dual journey. So you would watch it with your dad. Yeah. Who's your dad into when you're a kid? Uh, my dad is a huge Bobcat Goldthwaite fan. Which is nice because I got to actually tell Bob Kate go play that once when I met him and it was really sweet. I don't even know who that is. He was. <laughs> that's when I have, every once in a while I remember I'm significantly older than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not significant. You're like six years older than me, I think. Okay, you're 30? Whoa. I'm, 30, I'm, I'm 28. I'm 36. I thought you were like 34. <laughs> okay, yeah. So are we in significant territory yeah, again? Yeah, you're two, you're two high school graduating classes ahead of me. Yeah, yeah. Um... I don't know if my dad has any other specific people that he was like a big fan. He's not a comedy nerd. He just really thinks it's fun. So it was more okay. like whatever was on, we would just enjoy it. And yeah, there were yeah, certainly yeah. people that we would like more than other. Um, we always we bought a the HBO Young Comedian special that had Andy Kindler and Ray Romano on it. And we will to this day quote Andy Kindler set from it. Wow. <laughs> which it's you know not a lot of 
uh, millennials have a dad who's super into Andy Kindler, but also Bobcat, whatever. Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of either of those comedians. Okay, so I know Ram- Romano, of course. Yeah, but. and his. <laughs> I saw him live at the cellar. He dropped in once. It was funny. They had to tell a woman to stop screaming so he could start talking. <laughs> she loved Raymond too much. She sure did. Sure did. So you, I'm curious about this music production thing yeah. too. So you're into music. What's your first instrument? Are you uh, like a from from birth instrument like musician? They like training you earlier. I started taking drum lessons when I was eight. Okay, and then I continued them up until college, and I haven't since then because I do live in New York City, and drums would make me <laughs> a pariah, um, <laughs> the devil. Yes, yeah. yes. And then I um, I took up guitar, and I kind of half acidly took lessons, and I can I'm still functional on it. But when I was in college, I had a band when I was mm. at the height of my Dylan phase okay and uh i <laughs> taught myself the harmonica and yes i had the thing that holds it in nice. front of your mouth nice yeah yeah <laughs> it was the one time i know it was really dorky that i did that but like when we played it was the one time i felt like oh i'm legitimately cool right now nice <laughs> yeah. and i never got laid in college or anything and um but i found out later from my so the bass player in that band is now um he's the father of my godson so he's we're okay. really close still and he goes you know you had like a small like following of like uh, of women that like wanted to come to all our shows just to see you. I was like, was no one going to tell me? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we were watching once and this woman just goes, that man is a fucking rock star. I was like, you didn't tell me at the time? Why? <laughs> Why? This is useless knowledge now. I'm it only say, hurts. I'm going to say right now, that is super anime fan behavior of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I had a big sweat thing that formed him on the side of my Completely head. Completely oblivious. And my nose started bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. So you you uh, pivot from the band. You said you want to produce electronic music. Yeah, I was big into I was big into all types of of music, but um, I wanted to. I liked stuff that was really um, as much as I do like bands that are just guitar and bass and drums. Yeah. yeah. The, what I had interest in making was stuff where it was like, oh, what if I take this keyboard noise and I make it sound like this, and it doesn't sound like anything else mm-hmm. that I have heard. And I'm I'm sure I was way up my own ass about it because I was 17. Yeah, yeah. But I I did show it to some people that like were had music careers. One of my friends from high school wrote the lyrics to a song that was big in the 80s called Tarzan Boy that you will not know because okay. I barely know it. Yeah. So. By the law of Bobcat Goldthwait, it has already been lost to time for you. Um, and uh, I showed it to them, and I showed it to a couple teachers I had, and they really liked it. So I, I guess I had some semblance of talent. Who, who, what kind of artists were you into? I was big into um, Nirvana. was my favorite band for years. Mm-hmm. And I was into Deftones. Okay. I was into Outkast, especially for their production. It was very creative. Yes. Um, and I, I, I'm not a huge hip-hop fan like mm-hmm. i like it whenever i hear it, but i i don't gravitate toward it yeah yeah but i do tend to gravitate to stuff where i'm like oh the whoever's producing these like organized noise i think was their production company and mm. they were like brilliant and yeah the, yeah also the lyrics were really great too uh, especially when it would be stuff that would highlight uh, andre because he was the one who always wanted to make stuff weirder and weirder yeah, and I yeah, like that. yeah um my dad and i are both big into radiohead uh, okay. so that was a lot driving that too i also I uh I discovered the I, I listened to the Deftones for the first time yeah. like a few months ago and boy did that randomly hurdle me into a depression. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Oh, you want to get deeper into it? One of them is a flat earther. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh who's the the drummer for System of a Down? Huge Trump guy. He is. Like, yeah. Where did this come from? <laughs> and uh the guitar player from System of a Down 
um, wax nostalgic about Charles Manson when he died? <laughs> he was like, why are you celebrating the death of a human being? Like, he was a man, not a mass murderer, but yeah. he killed several people. Never meet your heroes. No. It's no. like everyone, uh, every old guy in a band, every band should make two albums and then all the band members should be put to death. Yes. So they can never fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's quality control. Exactly. I've been I've met a bunch of my heroes and I've gotten lucky most of the time. Yeah. But I know eventually I will not. Okay, who's your big ones? Uh, I met Tarantino in the street. Whoa. And he was <laughs> clearly not into talking, but I didn't want to talk to him anyway. But we were he was on the street having like Mexican food. And I walked up by with another comic and the other comic bothered him so I was like I guess we're talking to Tarantino uh, Okay. and I was like Kill Bill's a masterpiece I always wanted to tell you that he's like hey, I appreciate it <laughs> and you clearly didn't want to talk like what, what it, my, my thing with like encounters like that is what can you even say to those people yeah. you know like yeah. they've heard it all yeah you know? yeah yeah um, I met the guy from Green Day at a film screening. He was lovely. He was very sweet. Billy, Billy Joe. Joe Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. I've met Kevin Smith three times, and everyone ends with him hugging you enthusiastically. He's the nicest guy in the world. Whoa. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's not every day we get some celebrity goss on the mm -hmm. on the pod. Well, also, Good guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, speaking of celebrity goss, um, I'm friends with the uh, ex head writer of Roseanne, so his Christmas parties are just everyone famous in the 90s so i could tell you who's cool and who sucks i won't but i've met some people like i met the drug guy who plays the drug dealer in pulp fiction whoa and that blew my mind and we swept up pine needles and i was trying not to freak out <laughs> he was a lovely man wow that's uh oh yeah the rule for the pot is if you can if you uh you can say their name if you say something nice about them yes uh if you if you don't want to say something nice don't say their name yeah eric uh, stoltz yeah. lovely human being <laughs> there you go yeah Dope. That's crazy. Wow. Uh, what an interesting tangential connection. Yes. Like 90s Christmas parties. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, uncomfortable at a party when it isn't filled with 90s celebrities. So that yeah. was a, I was glad I went and I was appreciated the invite. But I was like, at a certain point, I was like, I gotta go. I can't. I think the, the move is just pretend you don't know any of them. Yes. And be like, oh, yeah. So what do you do for work? Bobcat who now? Yeah. Who you are? <laughs> Roseanne what? Yes. <laughs> So, uh, comedy and theater, yes. which comes first for you? Oh, comedy, uh, big time. I got okay. into theater when I was uh, in my 30s because I, I always I liked it when I was a kid. Like, I fell in love with movies like The Lion King and stuff, yeah, like yeah. Disney movies. And we'll get to comedy. I'm just sort of peeling back the layers yeah, of yeah, other yeah, stuff yeah. I do. Um, I got really into uh, that when I was a kid, and then I became an adolescent, and I was like, this is stupid. No one sings their feelings. That's dumb. And all my friends were the theater kids, and they were mm. like, you should do this. You'll like it. And I was like, no, 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 I won't. And I probably would have, but I was too scared that yeah, I would yeah. ruin the show. And so I got to be about 30, and a combination of just, like, defenses coming down in my brain and the election of Donald Trump kind of put me in a very vulnerable, earnest place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just, I was like, oh, I've been meaning to listen to Avenue Q forever. My roommate in college liked it. Um, and I liked Jesus Christ Superstar, although I was, I was like, not a musical, it's a rock opera. And it's a musical. It is also a rock opera, but <laughs> yeah, it is a yeah, musical. Yeah. Um, and I liked it and I went, oh no, I should have nurtured this thing I knew I probably liked. And I realized musicals are just a movie that's made of songs, basically. And I love both of those things. Mm. And so I started a podcast called Broadway Baby, where my two theater friends who are a married couple teach me about theater every week. And I've gotten to do some theater since then. I did some, I played a, two small parts in a theater festival, plays back to back. Uh, I was very tired because it was like 16 shows. Mm. One of them I played a nervous cop who has two lines. 
the cop wasn't written as nervous, but the director took one look at me and said, you're the nervous rookie. I was like, yes, that's <laughs> that's how. Um, and then the other one, I played a uh, like a Ted Bundy style serial killer mm. who comes in at the very end. And um, uh, I'm also writing a musical. I just finished all the lyrics and uh, music of it. So you've like thrown yourself into the theater world pretty yes. hardcore. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. I feel like getting older, starting comedy, I started when I was 24, right? And I feel like that was like, oh, I can do a lot of stuff, you know? And then once my frontal lobe uh, finished developing around uh-huh. 26, I was like, yo, you can just do anything you want to. And it's just chill. Just yeah. do it, you know? Yeah. Even if you <laughs> suck at it, it's like, no one's going to bring it up. I'll just yeah. do it. And if it's fun for me, who cares? <laughs> exactly. Thanks, frontal lobe. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So you are into theater now. We're, yeah. we're going to tie these things together. When, yes, yes. when do you start comedy? How old are you when you start comedy? I started comedy little drips and drabs when I was 19, like okay. telling my friend over the phone some bits I'd written because I got really into... So my dad and I always liked comedy, but I never viewed it like as art with yeah, a capital yeah. A. I always thought that it was just really funny, fun stuff you watch on TV. Mm-hmm. And it's then art with a capital F. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. Fart. Yes, for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got uh, Pat Oswalt put out a special called No Reason to Complain. Yeah. And it hit me. And he was a guy I'd seen before, but it never clicked. I'm like, oh, this is like a thing. And yeah. I looked up, um, I just Googled him because he really kind of struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. And I bought his album, Feeling Kind of Patton. And I was like, wait, he's swearing on this one? You can do it. And I didn't realize that there was this extra depth that TV was taking away yeah. from comedy. Yo, bad words? Basically, yeah. <laughs> what? And I kind of, it hit me. I'm like, oh, and this is something Patton said later in a, in a movie. It was like, oh, you can follow a comedian like you'd follow a band. Go, this mm. is the period where they were starting out and they didn't have a lot to say, but they knew what they were doing and then they got married and had a kid. And then all the, and Patton is a person you can do that with because so much yeah. has happened in his life since, yeah. since then. And now in the age he was when he put out that special so i'm like probably not gonna happen huh this is not (laughs) going well i honestly i'm i'm fully in the give it as much time as it takes mindset because like george carlin did comedy for like forever before he blew up he blew up when he was like 58 or something like that yeah yeah and he was always he he did stuff he was successful but it was he didn't become his final Carlin form as we know exactly. it um, until he was, you know, older. But. I feel like everyone has like this like prime age where like the stars align for yeah. their creativity. And yeah. like, I don't know who knows what it could be. I know Louis CK didn't like figure himself out until he had kids like yeah. comedically. Then everything like clicked for him. Yeah. But that was he like, should have figured out some other stuff. He should have figured out some other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you're 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 kind of getting into Pat Oswalt when you're 19. Yep. Are you? Do you get the idea that you can do comedy around this age? So I had it in my head. I was like, okay, I think I could try this, but I don't want to make it my career. I'm too focused on music. Right, right. And I, I had it in my head. I was going to record an album of just me for me and put audience <laughs> stuff in it, like. <laughs> I didn't do it, <laughs> yeah. But then I, I um, went off to college, and there wasn't a. I went to college in Worcester, Massachusetts. There wasn't a lot of places to do it. There was a coffee shop that let me do twenty minutes when I should not have been doing twenty minutes, and there was a sports bar that let you do like fifteen when I, I you, you could do it like a soft five to ten, and they wouldn't let you if you were killing. So right, right. I did it little bits here and there, but I started to get more nerdy about comedy. And um, especially from that kind of like Gen X period of like Louis and David Tell. David mm. Tell, I used to watch his show uh, Insomniac religiously. So I got really into him. Yeah. And um, I started it when I first started because I did open mics 
my uh, my family, I was born in New York City, but we moved to Long Island. And then when I left for college, we all moved to New York City again. So college, the vacations became, now I'm in New York City. So I was like, right. I got to go try it. And I tried it during the subway strike of 2006, I think it was. Whoa. Um, so I had to, I couldn't take the train there. I think I walked like all the way from my apartment, my mom's apartment in Chelsea to... Uh, the Laugh Lounge on the Lower East Side, which is no longer there, is a Mexican mm. restaurant, and I'm sure did not do great. Um, <laughs> was so, very nervous. So you're pursuing you like you start pursuing it pretty like not super dedicatedly, but yeah. as much as you can at that time. Yeah, and I even had a bit at the time about how I was planning to not make it my whole life, and people were like, "Oh, you shouldn't have that mindset. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, you should let it consume you and destroy you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I have since done. Yeah. So, that's, but so yeah. what? What? What was your first time performing at a mic like, or first time performing stand up like? Um, my first time perform. Oh, I think. Oh no, my first time was actually at college because I think I got I did the mics in New York later, but like really soon after. But it was my school had this thing called the Ten Spot, which was a a block of time where like a band would play or an artist, or yeah. there would be like uh, it's poetry night or some sometimes things like that. And um, I was watching one of my friends had like a like a variety night and i said can i do a set and they're like yeah sure and so i did a set i think there was no i think the microphone had even broken but there was a stand so i just held on to it for and i of course slammed it on the ground a couple times because you're so afraid yeah, that yeah. i wanted to punctuate stuff but it didn't go terribly like it went Whoa, okay nice. so it was just kind of on a whim did you have like material prepared that you were working on yes or? okay yeah i'm i'm not a person that loves to wing it in fact I went through a period where I was like, I'm just going to wing it. And that was at the coffee shop where I was doing 20 minutes. Yeah. And I got a reputation for not being funny there. And people did not like me. Damn. So then when I started to do well, they were like, oh, you got so much better. And I'm like, thanks for hiding your disdain. Yeah, right. It's palpable. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, yeah, I just wrote something down this time. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I'm like, I'm in the opposite boat. I can be really good at winging it, and my written stuff can be like less good. Okay. And so people will be like, "Oh, that was so funny what you did up there." I'm like, "That was a one-time thing." Like, yeah, <laughs> like, my sweet spot, and this is so maddening mm -hmm. because it's the I've just had a fresh experience. I I will write it down, and then I will talk about it, and that day it goes great, and then it never works again. Never again. So it's like. I don't know if, it, if other art forms have the experience of being gaslit by their own art form, but it's like, <laughs> why not? And I get that it's not as fresh, but like I said it the same way, I'm still excited. Yeah. About, why never again? There's something to it. I don't know. We've talked. I've talked about this in the last few episodes with yeah. my guests about like trying to recreate that feeling or repackage it with new feelings to make it hit again. Sometimes just like. Sometimes you just have that instant magic that's gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I read a book on acting and when I was gonna do theater, and that actually helped me with some stuff because it's like, oh, put yourself there, and like the funny part is that you're feeling whatever the emotion is. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if I'm supposed to be mad, I should remember what made me mad so that it's gonna be. Yeah. So it's not just my like my worst uh, experiences are when I've fallen into the trap, especially years ago, but still even now sometimes when I'm just in my head and I'm just saying the words. Yeah. <laughs> bad, bad. Yeah, not good. Not good. <laughs> just, just a dial tone behind the eyes. Not good. So when do you? So I'm guessing you do. You said you do comedy throughout the summers and yeah. the breaks throughout college. Mm -hmm. You getting any traction? You getting booked on any shows in the city, or are you just kind of popping mm -hmm. in and out? Yeah, just just mics. Um, at the, a lot of places aren't there anymore because I'm old. Uh, and um, not shows because I didn't think I was ready for that. When I graduated, mm -hmm. I did a couple of bringers. Yeah. And my 
poor parents had to come and uh one went great and then it never went that well again at another one but i only did like a handful of them <laughs> right but right. i was hitting the mics right away because i was really eager to get back mm -hmm. um and that's why I, I looked up places to do it in worcester with some mixed results i did the java hut which was that club that let you do 20 minutes should not have been doing it yeah um and then i did the it was like PB sports bar or something that that people would come in from the bar and just scream at you and it was not fun. I got like threatened there a couple times. Left. I've got some scars in my brain from that those Worcester experiences <laughs> that have started to go away. But where's Worcester? Is that like Western Massachusetts? I think it's central. Central. Okay. The second biggest city in Massachusetts. I'm not an East Coast boy, so yeah. I don't I don't know a lot of the places. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's um it's kind of like Boston but more aggro and sad. Like it's more industrial and it's yeah. definitely more conservative it's the it's the pittsburgh of uh massachusetts pretty much so it's uh philly to boston is pittsburgh to worcester yes and kind of vibe. Had, there's a couple of notable comics that came from Worc doug stanhope's from worcester and mm. dennis leary and i think that's it but because they got yelled at they got yelled at you <laughs> it's <laughs> the crucible that forms all of us yeah <laughs> so you graduate you move do you move back to the city after graduation yeah nice and are you do you start doing comedy like like much more often then? Yeah, or? especially because I was unemployed. So yeah. I could do a mic at four in the afternoon because I knew if I didn't get out of my house by then, oh boy, I was going to get sad. Yeah, yeah. So I just started hitting them right away all day, every day. What was uh, early on in stand-up? What were you good at? Um, Are you more I, of a writer? Are you a performer? Definitely like, more of a writer. I arguably don't know if I'm even good now. But, yeah, yeah. So if you take that for granted as argument... um. I definitely think if I have a strength, it's the I've worked this out and I know the specific word choices that I should go with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm uh, when I learned acting, that helps performance because I knew literally the technique. Mm. I, I tend to excel if someone lays out, here's exactly what you need to learn and I will hit that hard. If yeah. it's a vague thing, like, just do this until you get good, I'm like okay i'll do it but then i accidentally learned bad habits and so i i think that's one of the both the rewarding thing and the agonizing things about stand-up yeah is sometimes you don't know you can never figure out what you need to do to get good yeah. until you just spend another year doing yeah. it and then you're like oh shit i like, like i like to say stand-up comedy is the art of realizing you've been doing it wrong every three days yeah it's <laughs> That's a great way to put it. It never actually. goes away. <laughs> the uh I've been making clips recently of like some of my stand-ups, my roast battles, mostly my roast battles. And I've been going through some like old tapes that I took in like like 2021, right? Yeah. So like they're maybe a year, year and a half old. And I'm like watching these. I'm like, I've been doing stand for like more than four years, and I'm like, these are bad like okay i'm bad like this i remember feeling like i murdered this set uh-huh but the, like and I, I i remember distinctly people like oh fucking great set yeah. but i look back i'm like this is bad i there's nothing in here i want to make into a clip because i know i'm so much better than that that's now. a good sign it's a good sign but man is it frustrating yes. it's like oh man why wasn't i getting booked on shows back then and i watch and i'm like man fuck this dude <laughs> <laughs> the the experience that I had, I went so I went through before the pandemic because it made me stop. I went through like a five year period where I was like, I'm gonna, this is gonna happen. And I worked, like just did mics and mics and mics and mics and shows and writing all the time. And I had nothing to talk about because I did the, th I went overboard. Oh, yeah. So now when I look at material back then, I'm like, this 
this is somebody who's having a slow motion nervous breakdown (laughs) and not living an actual life and he has nothing to talk about, but he doesn't know what else to do because he's desperate. Yeah, and now you have great jokes about getting beat up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What sucks is when I get beat up and I write all the jokes and then none of them work. (laughs) And then it's like getting beat up again. Yes, exactly is. (laughs) No, I like them. I like the one, you have the one where you say like you're you're like standing there and your knuckles are all bloody and you're like, I'm such a badass. (laughs) (laughs) But... Uh, he does his first sport. He doesn't. It's not like a street fighter. No, <laughs> a fighter. no, no. <laughs> so you're hitting it hard. You do like five years. Uh, what's a first non-bringer show you get booked on? First non-bringer show I got booked on, I think, was Todd Monesey had a show, and he still runs great shows um, at different places, called the. It was UG Comedy Show at the Mug Lounge, and it was this, like room offset it looked like it should have been an opium den it had like cushions and and veils nice. and stuff yeah, yeah. and you could go in there and it, it was a big room and it had a little dj booth and the bar away enough that like if someone was going to get a drink it wasn't obnoxious right and he would just book people that he liked and book people that were nice to him and and stuff and i would go in there and it was it was a bar show but it was very much like okay this is a safe place to make all them mistakes yeah yeah yeah. but like you know those little guys that will like sell trinkets and stuff on the train that light up yeah like some of those dudes would just come in and start walking around <laughs> and so new york was, baby that was fun um other one was back before the grizzly pear was the grizzly pear it was the village ma it was a thai restaurant okay and the guy named ed till had me host those shows and then um I don't know if it was because I graduated or because I wasn't good at hosting, but I then started to do infrequent spots on it. But nice. either way, I was grateful for it. Hell yeah. Do you like hosting? Um, I like the freedom of something about hosting, even though it feels like it should be more pressure, sometimes feel like less pressure mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, I can just tack on things to things everybody else said. And if I want to do a joke that's from my heart of hearts, I can if I feel like it. Yeah. But it's just like, it, I get the kind of same feeling from hosting um, if I think about the pressure of like, oh, the energy rides on me, I'll get in my head. But when it feels like I'm doing a podcast with the audience, that's when it kind of feels good. Yeah. So yes, yeah, and, yeah, yes yeah. and no. That's I'm. That's like the best. I think. Yeah. I personally love hosting because it is that like fluid. Like, you don't have to have a killer riff yeah. every time. You don't have to have a killer joke every time you're on stage. You just have to make sure the audience claps the last person yeah. and is smiling before the next person yeah, comes and up. fix any problems that have arisen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the and the only rub for for me is that like crowd work's not my absolute strength. Like yeah, yeah. I like talking to people, but I often don't know what to say after a certain point because that's just how I am. So mm. like a position where you're supposed to do that like okay I'll, I can be functional at this but if I feel myself starting to run away give it up for that person then yeah. we just move on <laughs> crowd work though I feel like I've talked about this a lot in this podcast best way to get good at crowd work is uh, start a weekly show weekly bar show mm-hmm. it can be terrible yeah but you're gonna figure out crowd work real quick yeah because <laughs> if you don't everyone will leave <laughs> yep I don't know I love it I there's been I I've had some big swings and some big misses, some big hits with crowd work. I did a, I hosted a set that was like, uh, actually after John Moskowitz is on this podcast, he gave me some hosting advice that I really liked. That that day I did a set and I fucking did crowd work for seven minutes up top okay. for my hosting and it killed. And I was like, damn. And then I hosted the Tiny Covered 10 p.m. two weeks ago 
did try to do crowd work up top. It did not go well. Oof. Because I, I, it was like one of those things where after I did it, I was like, oh, fuck, I should. Because everyone at the 10 p.m. was there from the 8 30. Uh, so they've they been crowd worked to death. They didn't need to be warmed up. They're, yeah. They they know what's going on. Oh, yeah. You, I yeah. Early on, when I would get little hosting gigs, the, oh, no, I did too much hosting at them was a problem. Yeah. It's, <sighs> I learn real quick. Once again, it's one of those things, it's like you never, you've never finished learning it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you do come, you're doing, you do, you grind for like five years. Yeah. Pre-pandemic. You have nothing to write about. <laughs> yeah. Right. Is the pandemic a turning point for your approach to comedy then? Yeah, I guess it would be. Um, it made me stop because I was grinding before then, but I went into like hyper mode because I, I was like, this has to happen. And then the pandemic, we all had to stop. Mm -hmm. um, and it definitely made me kind of just realize like none of this is actually important. What matters is like be a good person and don't be a dick. Yeah. And don't vote for people that their whole healthcare platform is I'll let you all slowly die. Um, <laughs> Trump got pretty far for that was literally his healthcare plan is I'm just going to let you all slowly die. And Crazy. he like, oh, like four, what was it 40,000 votes? <laughs> like yeah. squeaker for that being the policy. I maintain he could have won. Yeah. The, again, he could have won reelection in 2020. All he had to do was keep giving us stimulus checks. Yeah. And everyone would have been like, Free money guy. Yeah. Can't beat free money guy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but so pandemic made me kind of just realize like, oh, life is important. And I kind of yeah, really yeah. had to stop and think because when I'm at my worst, I get too into like, I'm just going to keep moving. Yeah. And I lose all track of reality. Mm. And it's like I said, slow motion, nervous breakdown. Like it's yeah. not good. And pandemic made me and then certain things happened to the pandemic like my friend had a baby and i have a mm. godson so it's like i started to have more family and like a better more of a support network right uh, with that new addition to my to my family life and it just kind of put things in perspective because yeah. i think when i'm at my best of things i have perspective because mm -hmm. i'm a person who builds things up way too high and then the pressure and then i get desperatized and then it all comes crashing down right if i can make myself not care in the appropriate way, which is a concept I have a hard time wrapping my head around, but if I can do it, then things usually go okay. Mm. Interesting. I like that. It's like it's like you having this like this major like life event. Yeah. And and getting something a new a new piece into the life too. We have yeah. Godson like having the perspective to ground yourself for comedies. Good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Interesting. And, and like I said, it's just like you know, you have a moment where, you know, I have, I'm also like very close to um, my cousin, who's mm -hmm. like my little sister, and I, I had moments where I was like, during the pandemic, we would have like virtual movie nights and stuff, and it yeah. was fun. And I was like, I felt more joy doing stuff with her or with my godson than I've, even the most fun sets are super fun, yeah. but they don't scratch that same soul itch that I was chasing with the other thing. Right, And right. knowing that makes it better. Like, okay, this is frosting, this is food, mm. you know, if I make it pretentious. Um, so you were like mid pandemic, you're like, I need a child. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get Yeah. When I get around that kid, I'm like, okay, I'm learning all the dad lessons. I get my baby fever starts to rise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That that's like a really good thing to be aware of. I think when I started comedy, I almost, I shut like everything else out. Yeah. Like I basically started doing comedy and I would like go to work, do comedy. And then I would ski on the weekends and do yoga. And that was like the only two things i did mm -hmm. other than comedy yeah and when i got to new york city it was like 
comedy, 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 yeah. comedy. And, and then, that's kind of bad for a human brain. <laughs> oh, it's really bad. Yeah. And now I have my life is full of hobbies mm-hmm. and comedy like alongside those other hobbies feels really good. Yeah. So I get to appreciate it more. You know, when I when my schedule is full of like hanging out or doing studio stuff and the podcast or other podcast things like when I actually get two nights a week to like go and hit mics yeah. and do new jokes that I've written, I like treasure that. I'm like, yes, I got yeah. new stuff. You yeah, know, my new attitude, and I don't know if this is particularly a career winning career winning strategy, but it's been good for my mental health. Is yeah, like, yeah. I'll do comedy when I feel like it, not like you gotta hit it because <laughs> everyone else is doing it. And like, it's a certain point where comedy in New, especially in New York, often feels like a mixture between poetry and a push up contest. Like everyone's like, you got to be writing and you got to do that. But then it's this lilting, weird, silly, frivolous thing that we're doing. Yeah. And it's like we want to make we want to make this thing tough and it's not supposed to be. And so <laughs> we, I internalized that and drove myself crazy going, I got to be super strong. You got to be a beast, man. It's like you're telling jokes. It doesn't have to come from a place of dominance. You're not a cult leader. <laughs> and I think some comics have cult leader energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's that's an amazing way to put that. Like, yeah. it's it's true. It's like, do it when you want to do it. Yeah. And also, I think no one, no one creates the lore about stand-up like stand-up comics uh-huh. do. You know, it's like, especially like when you hear like an older, like a, a veteran comic like you you hear like these famous guys who've been like doing comedy for 25 years on a yeah. podcast and like oh yeah back in the day I'd stay up till 4 a.m every single night doing comedy and then I'd go work the door at some club and then just yeah. do it and it's like you hear that and you're like everyone hears that stuff and they're like so that's what it is right so I'm gonna go to New York City I'm gonna do that mm-hmm. and then you get like when you start doing comedy you're like oh no this is like this is kind of just a hang, like yeah. where we do a silly thing. <laughs> yeah, we do, we're doing a silly thing. Yeah. And you can do a silly thing from an earnest place. And yeah. I, once in a while I get in my head, I'm like, am I not a silly enough person to do comedy? And I'm like, that's just me driving myself crazy. Like, I, okay, this is something that I've hit on recently. Um, this, this exact thing, the silliness thing, okay? I realized that like, okay, we have a lot of shows that record here in this studio. Mm. Two of the shows, S&D Podcast and Worthless Clowns, are so silly and so, like, filled with laughter. Like, they're comedy, comedy podcasts. Like, you would listen to them and you'd laugh. A lot of the other shows are hosted by comedians, and they're fun, and they have funny moments, but they're more earnest. Yeah. And I realized that, like, even though I'm a comedian, I'm not a silly person. I'm actually... Pretty serious person. Okay, that makes me time. really feel seen. Yeah, because I've been kind of struggling <laughs> with that idea for the last like, couple years. Like, maybe I'm too, maybe I'm too self-serious, and it's like, no, you're a human being. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> everyone has value because, and it's once it gets the perspective. Like, I mean, one of my one of my best friends out here, David Dobbins, he is a fucking silly machine. Yeah, you know, and at his core, like once you get to know him, he's actually a pretty serious guy. But like when he gets on his like yeah <laughs> shit, he just Turn it it's on. just goofy, and it's like. Those types of people have value. Ju- their value is just as much as other more serious, earnest people. It's yeah. just in a different way. Because yeah. some people with their silliness can be like the life of the party outside of just the stand-up. But like 
earnest people also appreciate earnest people. Like yeah. it's not unseen and it's not unvalued. I love when you see a comic who you think is really funny and then they just go and do a serious thing and it's also really good. Like where the way Robin Williams would go mm. do dramas and stuff because he was a Juilliard trained actor. Yeah, yeah. Or like when Bob Odenkirk does what was that movie Nobody where he was like John Wick kind of. I didn't see it yet, but <laughs> but it's. I, I love still, him in that role. What I want to. Yeah, what yeah. movie? Have I encourage all of you to see it. I, I haven't gotten around <laughs> to it yet, but like, um, and even like to a lesser extent, Jim Carrey once in a while has dramatic chops. Uh, yeah, like Man on the Moon. My my favorite example is um, in within stand up stand up is Patton Oswalt's Annihilation. Yes. I, like, and then he does dramas too. He did a big fan. He's like mm. big, like taxi driver basically. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but his like that whole part of the special where he's just like being so real for yeah. like 10 minutes and then he wins them back. He gets laughs at the end. I'm like, dude, if I if I talk about something that sad for that long on stage, yeah. we're not coming back. The rest <laughs> of the show is not coming back. <laughs> no, we'll go to a different place and maybe we'll enjoy it, but yeah. we're not going back there. <laughs> the audience is leaving. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, so I feel like silliness is like a thing that like it's it's weird. I think comedy it's it's weird that comedy is separate from silly yeah. in a lot of in, yeah. in some ways. Even though it's like it can be, it, it also doesn't have to be. So and just being into the things you're into naturally yeah. creates like a fun thing. Like people people like comedy because they're interested. And when they're interested in something and the unexpected arises that's when there's like laughs, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, um, I was, I'm not like, I, I'm not great at just sparking up a conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. but yesterday I was at the tiny cupboard and the host goes, Oh, I've seen you post on Facebook. You're big into anime. Right. And I just came alive. Like <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. I'm a, a, an introvert that can be turned into an extrovert if yeah, I yeah. feel safe. Yeah. And you just got to harness that energy for your stand up. Yes, I do. That's uh, that's something I'm trying only to only anime into. from now on. Only anime. Dude. <laughs> I actually do have some anime jokes, but as we as we should, as we should. But it's yeah. like also think about it this way, <laughs> like the most successful project I've had thus far, even more successful than this show, which this is a hunt. The episode 118 is our Gundam podcast yep. with nine episodes, mm-hmm. and it's like like that show. Yeah, we we're kind of silly on it. We riff about the yeah. things. But it's like an like we're earnestly watching this and interested in this, yeah. and we joke about it, and people love it, and that is kind of comedy in a way. Yeah, you know? yeah, and like the when I've I think the, when I've been on my best uh, this year, past year especially, it's when I'm like, okay, what am I just doing day to day that isn't comedy? Yeah. Well, I'm reading all that commie stuff, so I have like the joke <laughs> about Jeff Bezos doesn't need a head and like all yeah. that stuff like that, and it's like okay. <laughs> And I'm and it's serious. These are serious ideas, but I feel like okay, I've said it in a way that the funny part is that oh, you get what it's like to live in my brain, learning this stuff, right? Yeah, and I, like having those like varied interests, so important. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Just talk about like, and also I think there's like the struggle for relatability. Is like in your stand up, you want to be like, oh, what are people gonna like? What do I like that people are gonna like? Yeah. Here? I think you just take take whatever it is you like, write a joke about it, and just choose your words so that people can understand what it is. Definitely, know? it's because it's like you can you can worry about what people like that you also like, or you can say, okay, what do people like about the thing that I like that I can describe in a way right. where it, it resonates with the reader. It's like when people go like, oh, I don't know if I want to reference this thing because not everybody knows it. I'm like, okay, well, 
if you can do it in a way where you explain it and it doesn't add twice as much bulk to the joke, then go for it. Because if you just explain it away with one sentence, now they know it, it's on, you're, they're on board because it's exactly. not that hard to understand. I did I did a joke. This was like one of my, I had like a couple of jokes that were like my trial runs of this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of them was about Corn, the band, you know? Okay. And I'm I like, was a fan. Yeah, dude, I love Corn. That, that first album holds up. All, like so many of them do. Yeah. I, they just released a song featuring Health and Danny Brown. I heard about that. I don't know who those two people are. Health, I'm not as familiar with Health, but they're like an experimental band. Okay. And Danny Brown is an incredible rapper. Okay. It's, but I had this joke about Corn where I'm like, uh, so Corn just released, uh, no, it starts with, um, guys, I hate to be the one to say this, but Corn, I don't think they're growing as musicians. <laughs> and then I say, like, okay. So, mm, bop, bop, <laughs> just over and over again. And uh, and then the second part is Corn um, releasing an album in 2021 feels the same as like a child cooking you breakfast it does. where you're like you're like wow i really appreciate the thoughtfulness and the surprise <laughs> and that you made this for me but like do i have to eat this like <laughs> and for me that like worked because i was like oh i'm writing a joke about a specific thing that not many people are into yeah but the concept of like every band ages and releases albums too late yes it, too late is very broad yeah yeah and yeah. it's just your corn is somebody else's Whatever band. I also had one about uh, how watching anime on the train is better than reading a book on a train. <laughs> In what way? It was uh, my the joke was uh, reading a book on the train is a zero pussy move. Okay. Yes. You ever see a guy reading a book on a train? They're not even turning the pages. They're just reading the same page over and over, thinking, "God, someone please ask me what I'm reading. <laughs> please notice me." <laughs> well, I've I've done that, and I get asked by the people you don't want coming up to you. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, do you like that book?" I'm like, yeah. And I had a one guy once go, "Do you?" have aspirations as a writer and i was like i gotta go uh, <laughs> this is feeling ominous you maybe you just missed your opportunity maybe he was because uh, i'm the publisher that's gonna get your first novel it's new york baby yep <laughs> <laughs> so is your is your foray into theater a post-pandemic activity or a during pandemic it or? was during pandemic yeah so during the pandemic um and we we're all searching for things to do that were actually safe yeah. um my friend Miles, who was one of the theater kids I mentioned, we, we grew up together on Long Island, and he says, I want to turn the Mel Gibson movie The Patriot into a musical. And uh, I said, okay. And so I watched the movie, and we start brainstorming stuff. And I, at that point, was well-versed in all the terminology enough from my podcast, like, okay, oh. where is the ad break going to so you started the, the theater, pot, the Broadway yeah. Baby, before the pandemic. Yeah, Broadway Baby started in 2018. Wow, so you've had that one a while now. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we so so the I watched the movie, and I, I knew enough of the terminology to be like, okay, where do you see the act break being yeah, here? Because yeah. it's got to end on a big plot point. That's just how they'll go, unless you're doing a one act thing. Um, and we start breaking it down, and I said, okay, we're going to take the, the script, and we're going to, it's a too long of a movie. Mm. And we have to do a parody, otherwise we can't legally do it, we can't get the rights. So we're going to make right. it a comedy. And we're, um, which was a joint decision, but then I said, uh, why don't we take the script, it's too long, we'll crunch that down so we have a tight drama. And then we will go through it and we will paper over it with jokes and go, mm-hmm. song should go here, song should go here, song should go here. And uh, it wasn't set who was going to be the composer. I had it in my head like, okay, maybe we'll all work on it together, but let's get an arranger because you usually write a song in theater and then somebody comes in and like kind of makes it have more depth and stuff. Right, like right, right. Lin-Manuel Miranda has Alex Lacamoire and it's a it's a whole part of the process that makes it more uh, 
makes it good. And so I said, why don't we get an arranger who also has songwriting experience to just fix our mistakes? Because I was not confident that any of us mm -hmm. could really do it. Yeah, yeah. I was hopeful, but I was cautiously optimistic. So then I started to have ideas and I had been kind of itching to do music and tamping that down for the last five years going no only comedy that's all you think about mm. and part of me was like well maybe i want to write some songs and i was like no um and so i started to just like have little snippets of musical ideas and i said okay i'm just gonna write some songs if i feel like it and i'll show them to my co-writer and if he hates them i'll throw them away and i'll take myself back down to peg but then he didn't hate them and so i wrote an entire musical and i wrote <laughs> The first draft of all all the lyrics, and he went through and helped. He's a very good lyricist, and I don't think he ever wrote. He'd written lyrics before, like for bands, but not hmm. musical theater before. And so I also had been reading. Uh, my two co-hosts got me. Stephen Sondheim put out two annotated books of lyrics, mm -hmm. where he also breaks down his technique and what different kinds of rhymes and yeah. what they do and different techniques you can use. So I wasn't a great lyricist. Also, on, so on my podcast, Broadway Baby, every episode ends with me taking a song from the album we did, and I have to make a parody of it where I make all the lyrics about podcasting or whatever. Okay, yeah. And so I kind of had like a little bit of training, and it's yeah, a silly yeah. way to get training, but it was something. And so I, I would. Uh, write out a first draft of lyrics and some of them would just be me humming and some mm. of them would be little things that I thought were something. Some of them would just be like, hey, this lyric is bad. Please fix it. But I had to get to the next one. Yeah. And um, so but I would I would be very clear to like, OK, every song in a musical has to move the story somewhat. Right. Otherwise, it isn't you feel it that it's not doing anything. It mm. should be cut or it should be a line of dialogue or something. And so I would be very good about going here are the bones of the thing here's how this is moving the scene and then miles would come in and he would just fix all my mistakes and make all the lyrics good lyrics and whenever we were not sure about what to do i would then bring in my sondheim rules and i would like guide his hand fixing my big mistakes so we Whoa. we add up to one pretty solid lyricist and then i compose all the music that's fucking crazy <laughs> having never done it before yeah i was gonna say because you jump in like you jump in the deep end yes. right away. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I did. And I have it a little bit easy. So so one of the themes of our show that we, we we kind of we made the Patriot a better movie by our because <laughs> it's it's got some cool stuff in it. And damn, we all hate Mel Gibson, but he is charming. And we we mm. are we have that knowledge as we write that thing every day that we have to rip on Mel Gibson a little bit because he's a Nazi who happens to be a brilliant actor. Yeah. Um and so uh as we're you know adding jokes and stuff to it. Um, I one of the themes that kind of emerged because it still has all the serious stuff that happens in the Patriot. He loses two kids. He's mm. a widower. You know, a guy blows his own head off because he's watched his entire farm burn yeah. from British soldiers running through, and his kids dead. Like it's a dark movie in a lot of ways. Um, and I I I said okay, one of the themes that's sort of emerging here is your past coming back to get you. Mm -hmm. And so I decided uh. What I wanted to do with the music is not literally every song, but I was incentivized that whenever I had to write a new song, I would build it out of disguised chunks of previous songs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of musicals will have, you know, this song and then this song reprise at the end where it's the yeah. same lyrics, but it's it's sad now or it's right. it's got a little bit of a change that it's, you know, it's fulfilling, fulfilling a different narrative purpose. Mm -hmm. And then some shows won't have that, but they'll have, you'll recognize a melody, especially if an act break, they'll kind of do like a medley sort of a thing. And so because our show is about those themes, I was incentivized to, even if I was 
changing a melody line where you wouldn't peg it as that's that song. If I knew it, it felt like it made sense to me. And I figured that feeling would carry over um, of someone going, oh, this feels like something else, but you might not notice it until I pointed it out. And then some things is just the same lyric mm. or the same thing, like transposed yeah, up yeah, and yeah. down. But because that theme of your past coming back to get you and a cyclical nature of what are you passing on, I think it also made it a little easier that I had like a cheat code of like, okay, I, if I need a new song, all right, what have I written already? Can I mush stuff together? Because mm. it's only going to make the theme stronger. So is this still a work in progress or do you guys finish this? It's still a work in progress in that we don't have a demo yet, but like all the songs are first draft done and the script is like a couple weeks from being first draft done. So well. you so guys start, thing. You guys have started this during the pandemic. Do you like yeah. work on it like weekly or biweekly or how does this? <laughs> yeah, but once a week and uh, we, we would do it more, but my co-host, a lot of his life is crazy. So a yeah, lot of yeah. stuff's always going on and I can just sit down and like sit in front of my keyboard for eight hours and just burn out a whole song. Jeez, dude, but, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, okay, let me, let me rewind a little bit. So okay. Broadway Baby, how does Broadway Baby start? So Broadway Baby starts because, like I said, in 2016-ish, I start to get into musicals, 2017 more like, um, right around inauguration, so we were all feeling particularly okay. bad. Okay. I get into musicals. And, and I, you're you're deep in comedy. Yes. This, this is okay. also in the I'm driving myself crazy with comedy okay. period. Okay. And so because I was driving myself crazy with comedy, there's no such thing as a thought that you do not tweet because that's content. Why am I not making my thoughts into content? Yeah. So everything I'm doing, I'm writing a tweet about it. And so I was writing a lot of jokes about uh, musicals and my friend, so my friend Jay, who's a comic and his wife, Kimberly, who has another Broadway podcast called Broad Wasted that's much bigger than ours. Mm -hmm. But um, she, we, we went to see Deadpool 2 and we met them for trivia afterwards. And she goes, oh, I love reading your Twitter because I can just look at that and go, that's a theater kid. And I went, actually... <laughs> This is a new thing. Yeah, and she yeah. was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I never did. I thought I hated it. And then I had to admit I liked it. And I'm like, I regret not being a theater kid because I probably would have had more fun. And so she goes, why don't we do a podcast where we teach you every week? And I said, okay, can Jay be involved? Just because I always wanted to do a thing with him. And I did not realize till like episode six that it's like, oh, it's like they're my Broadway parents. And that was kind of our vibe. <laughs> and so it was really sweet. Like, Are, are they a are they a couple? They're married. Yeah. Okay. Oh, they're married. Okay, yeah. cool. Nice. Yeah. Damn, they just like fully adopted you into that. Basically. And they like when they came to see me in the play I was in, they're like, yeah, it felt like we were at the way Jay described it. He goes, it felt like we were at our kids Christmas pageant, but it just happened to be about serial killers. That's so sweet and wholesome. It so was. <laughs> I bowed and I gave him a wink like we did it. We like, did <laughs> full circle, baby. <laughs> this is your elementary school performance. Uh -huh. with your parents. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's so cool. It was really, really fun. Let me ask you this. So. We'll get more into the theater and stuff. Uh, musicals. Yes. What, what, what's your favorite musical? Hamilton. Hamilton? I have okay. mixed feelings about it as a super lefty, oddly enough, because it got me so into history and politics that then I kind of outgrew its message a bit. Okay. But I still love the music and I still love every song mm -hmm. and I love the, the heart of it. But I've had to admit to myself now that I know that period in history back to front, it is about fictional characters it right is, right it, they, they, they leave out his what his actual politics were for a reason yeah, so, yeah. but i still think it's a great piece of art. you got a number two so i feel like hamilton is such yeah. a it, i know it's, it's such a, an outlier that's like <laughs> it's a basic answer in the yeah. theater community but i but i it's it's what's in my heart um i can give you my top five it's a little okay, easier let's than do, do a top okay. five um hamilton uh hedwig and the angry inch okay which is arguably a play that has music in it not a musical but okay. close enough uh parade which is 
um, it's about the hanging of Leo Frank. Do you know who that is? Mm. So Leo Frank was a, a Jewish guy in, I think it was the 1910s in Georgia, who was accused falsely of uh, killing a 13-year-old girl. Okay. And he is railroaded his trial, and he gets a commuted sentence but then is lynched by the townsfolk because they think that's a miscarriage of justice. Right. And it gives birth to the second incarnation of the KKK, but also the Anti-Defamation League. So it's like a big historical thing. And this is a musical. It is a musical, <laughs> and it's one of the best musicals ever. Okay. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, as so is that. Uh, Sunday in the Park with George, okay. which is my favorite Sondheim show. Um, and then it's always kind of floating in and out. That's for the, I all, I'm partial to Fun Home. Which is was a comic book first. Mm -hmm. um, do you know that show? No, dude. You've named four musicals. I have no <laughs> idea what they okay. are. Fun home. <laughs> I'm like, so where is Wait. Sweeney Todd in the top? Five? Oh, where is Sweeney Todd's in my top ten? Where is Doctor Horrible's Sing Along Blog? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched that yet. So, uh, Fun Home. Uh, have you heard of the Bechdel test? Yes. It was named after Alison Bechdel, who wrote Fun Home. Okay. And I don't remember why that test is associated with her, but she wrote this book about her family, and her father was this super abusive, closeted gay guy who was a teacher and was having sex with his students and other men, and his mom, uh, her mom knew, and but she just shut it out. And the whole thing about the dad was, this, this house has to be perfect. It's spotless. And the kid, he basically art directed the children. Like, it was a really dehumanizing experience. Mm -hmm. And then he killed himself, and she has this sort of crisis of, like, piecing it all together, and that was the comic book. And then it was Whoa. made into a musical, and it's narrated by three different versions of her coming. To, it's so good. Something that... Shouldn't have been a comic book. <laughs> Shouldn't have been a music. That's wild. But was but is genius all in, in all its forms. That's great because I'm like hearing that I'm like what did it like that that to me is like that's a book yeah. you know but a comic book is like, well it's a graphic novel it's a graphic jeez it wasn't weekly like wow. Spider Man it was a people are so creative yeah uh, that's yeah. really cool yeah. yeah Sweeney Todd's great though I love Sweeney Todd and I'm I'm I like it do you have are you a theater guy no. Not really. I've only seen a handful of musicals, um, and most of them were because in high school, my high school girlfriend was a choir girl, so she would like, we would yes. watch them. Like we watched Sweeney Todd way too many times because they were specifically singing a song from it. Which song? Uh, it's whatever the intro is. Whatever the like, tis the tale. Tis the tale of Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That one. Uh, so I've seen that movie way too many times, so I like it, but I was like so burned on it. Yeah. And then I remember liking uh, Chicago. Chicago's I remember one. hating Moulin Rouge. Yeah. And recently I watched Rent and I it's not do great. not like it's Rent. It's not great. It's bad. Yeah. It's like, granted, I've only seen the movie. I don't know what that live performance is like. The the opening song with the 526,000, yeah. you, know, you know that song. That one, banger. The rest yes. of them, I like that. So and I, mid. And I like uh, the first song that I think is just called Rent. But then other than that, it's like, there's too many characters. It's based on La Boheme, but they didn't rein in all the stuff because they based it on the novel, not the opera. And there's that weird fucking sex scene that I every theater fan. I think that's the one of the only agreed upon songs that literally every theater fan is like, oh, contact is garbage, even if they love rent. <laughs> it's it's one of those like watching the movie. What what kills me? I think that cut is that for the movie, which good living living in New York, right? I don't 
obviously I was not here for the time period about which rent is written. Yeah. Right. But their portrayal of like, this is what like a bohemian, like street, street kids are like, I'm like, yeah. this is so annoying. Your apartment is gorgeous. <laughs> Shut <Yeah>. up. <laughs> Dude, I would kill to live in yeah. a loft that big, even if it didn't have electricity. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> you live in an amazing apartment and you don't want to pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> you would, that's the thing is that a lot of theater fans will, they 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 like rent when they're kids and then they grow up and they're like oh the villain has a point like yeah pay your rent <laughs> like yes rent is sucks and it's classist and it's wrong but realistically like mark's whole thing is i don't want to have a job yeah nobody wants to have a job <laughs> yeah he, Get a job. he's like i just want to ride my bike and work on my movie and it's like okay is your movie any good then it, you can <laughs> he gets a job at like a like a buzzfeed of the time sort of a thing and he hates it. It's like, yeah, that's what you do. Now, it's, I wonder if it'll even resonate with kids now because it's like, yeah, you have the side job so you can eat and then you work on your thing. No one likes the side job. Yeah. What are you What are you whining about? You can't be unemployed all the time. It's like the first lesson you learn about like stand-up comedy is like, you go to your first open mic and someone's like, oh yeah, hey, good job. You should come back. By the way, do not drop everything to do this. Yes. <laughs> yes. I hate when people are like, you know, if you have a, uh, a safety net, you'll fall. I'm like, really? Or will I have a life? Like, I don't think that's so bad. There, yeah, there's something to be said. There, I think there's times to make leaps. Yes. But there are definitely uh, a lot more times to not make a leap. Yeah. <laughs> I have met people who made the leap and I don't like saying it because it feels mean but like you shouldn't have made that leap. Mm. i don't i don't want to judge make... but i because i feel for it but it's like i think everyone's like i quit my whole job to do this and it was his first open mic i was like oh no yeah oh no <laughs> you you run back to that stockbroker office real quick please yeah right i i i have se i had seen someone like that who did like two open mics had like a good set at like the second one, like recorded it and was showing people at his job. Mm -hmm. And one of the jokes about how much he hates the customers. Mm -hmm. And he, they were like, you can either do stand up or you can work here. Pick one. He's Oof. like, well, I choose stand up. Oh. Guess who doesn't do stand up anymore? Yeah. <laughs> and also doesn't have that job anymore. Mm -hmm. I was, I've always thought like, I'll quit my job when, uh, when someone is like, we will we are we will put you on this TV show yes. or like something like if there's like a big thing that I can get, I'm gone. Yeah. But like right now, dude, if I quit my job right now, I'm just looking for another job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like having health insurance. Oh, it's pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> I like having dental, dude. Me too. I go to the dentist twice a year. I haven't gone to the dentist twice a year since I was in third grade. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a status symbol at that point. Hell yeah, hell yeah, dude. I gotta, I gotta flex. I got mm -hmm. a wife now. Do you think I can have a wife and no health insurance? No. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so you. Get into theater. Broadway Baby is pre-pandemic. Yeah. Are you? Do you do any community theater stuff before the pandemic or any? Yes, I did. So I wanted to do more, but then the pandemic happened and just everything shut down. And so I don't know how to get back in. But how much did you get in there? So I did. Um, I went to a comedy show with a friend of mine, and there was a director there that just liked to go to comedy shows, and I didn't know who he was, but she says hi to him, and I say hi, and he just goes, "You're perfect." And I was like, Muh? and he goes, "Okay." I'm going to give you a script. I've been trying to cast this role. You look literally exactly what I imagine this character looking like in my mind. Just nervous cup. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, that actually came a little later, but I'll, I'll get, I'll get okay. to that. But uh, yes, I if I if I am to give off a cop vibe, it is nervous cop, yeah. but also a cab. So no. Um, so uh, I read it, 
and it's about it's about three guys on death row, and it's one of those the entire thing is just you're looking at them interacting on on death row. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read all of it; I just read my scene, and the dialogue was kind of was was decent. And so I say like, yeah, and I start asking questions like, okay, do you you know I don't I they, we set up an audition, and I go, okay, is there any kind of way you want me to come at this? Because I have some ideas, but I want to make sure I'm coming in at least in the ballpark of what you want. And then um, if I get it, I'm going to make a backstory. He's like, you're impressing the shit out of me. Like already, because mm. I had read all the Meisner books and stuff to, to try to get better at stand up, And so I just knew all that stuff. Right, going. right, right. And so I read for it. And because I'm me, literally anytime I do a thing that is in any way performative, I leave going like that. I, I did bad. I did a bad thing. Yeah. Um, probably do it today even though i think this is going well but this is going great yeah i'll, I'll leave i'll be like uh, uh you'll get you've you've gotten so many post podcast apologies for me that did not need to happen like <laughs> i talked over yeah. you the whole time you're like no you didn't i'm like okay it's true it's so it's so funny because i mean like this podcast for me right this is an exercise in me shutting the fuck up okay, okay. <laughs> like and i still get people who leave this podcast like, i'm so sorry if i talk too much i'm yeah. like you could have talked even more yes. probably like you don't apologize. this is your time to flex yeah <laughs> even our gundam podcast i'm like i just go through the plot you just throw your notes in wherever yeah, and I'm, I'm just like that steak looks really good <laughs> so sometimes it's not always worth it when i open my mouth but it's fine trust but, me the fans will notice that one yeah yeah <laughs> it was oh look it was like i said there was like sakuga level like animation it was folded okay i'm not gonna talk about a gundam steak anymore. anime food yeah <laughs> Really, yeah. I, I oh, just very quick side note. I found a um when I was with my my godson and his parents, there was an anime cookbook that like from this show you can make this. And I was it was really cute, but I was annoyed it didn't have bell peppers and beef from Cowboy Bebop, mm. which does not contain <laughs> bell which does not contain beef because they're too poor. Mm. So it's just bell peppers. The whole it's from the pilot. It's fun. <laughs> anyway, so um so I read this part and I go, yeah, I'll come read for this. And I read for it and I think it goes bad because he goes, I've seen enough. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. And I also wasn't sure if I was just reading to rehearse with them because I get right. there and everyone else was acting like I already had it. They're like, oh, it's going to be great working with you. I was like, oh, wait, is this not an audition? But then I read it a few times and I didn't end up reading it the way I did on stage because I added some other stuff. Um, but I read it just how it kind of felt in the moment. He goes, I've seen enough. And I kind of go awake thinking like, okay, I think I have a shot at that, but also maybe not. Like I was a, had a lot of feelings. And the next day I get like, um, so thanks for coming in. And then uh, you got it. And I was like, yes, sweet. And um, I started asking the questions like, okay, my character is, he's, I only had like four or five lines at the end. And the, the premise of the play, it's uh, three guys on death row. One of them, and it's it was written in the seventies, and we mm-hmm. had a theory that it was the it was the author's last work before he died, and it was not a great play, which I then learned when I read the rest of the script, and I went, oh no! Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I still wanted to do it, um, and uh, our theory was that he died before he could fix the problems with it. Mm. We don't know if that's true. But <laughs> it was William Inge, who's a great playwright, but that was not a great play. And a uh, fun fact, when it first came out in the 70s, it, its claim to fame was it starred Nick Nolte before he was anybody. I, I know the name. <sighs> Sorry. I know. <laughs> See Cape Fear. You said um, Nick Nolte and my brain was like, Joe Namath? <laughs> <laughs> so old person, older person? Yeah. <laughs> I barely know Joe Namath is. Also, I'm not a sports guy. But he, so. he was like one of the first Super Bowl yeah, winner yeah. guys. Well, he was like dressed. He was like, the yeah, only I reason know. I know him is because he was so flashy. Yeah, I know like, his like yeah. hair style. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> Furry coats and all that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um I know him from being referenced on The Simpsons, basically. There you go. Um, but so so um we go, we start rehearsal, and um 
it ended up being kind of crazy because we have no budget. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of it, um, somebody drops out of another play that the other guy was directing. And the, the, so the guy was going to direct two plays. He uh, was a diabetic and he lost a toe. Ooh. It was in the hospital. So he can't direct either one now. So one of them, the the second play, which was called Wait Until Dark, which was made into a movie starring Audrey Hepburn in the 60s and was a really good play. And I uh, uh, was approached by another actor in there. That was the one where I was nervous cop because one of the cops had dropped out right. and I, I filled it in. So you and, fully like tumbled into yeah, like being I had like theater. a schedule. I went, I got home at like one in the morning every day and like last thing I ate was like 7-Eleven And you didn't, you didn't sign up for any of this. You were just at, at somewhere and somewhere was like, yeah. do this for uh-huh. me. And you're like, okay. And then yeah. you get there and they're like, do this other thing. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so the, the wait until dark one wasn't hard yeah. because all I had to do was shine a flashlight and act like I saw a dead body and then kind of pan it up because the so the lighting director of the second play mm. stepped up and became director and she was right, great right. no one stepped up to be the director of the other play so we winged it yeah and i don't know if you've ever been in a play it shouldn't be directed by consensus that's not good <laughs> so we're, we're it takes place in a prison we didn't have a, a it was a little black box theater that a bunch of shows are happening at so we don't have a set we put up two posts and you had to like imagine the bars already strike one um and uh, the cast was really fun. Um, they were all good. They some people sh- were a little unself-aware about the thing that the the guy playing a priest who is trying to reach the the main guy and like convert. I think it was not convert him, but like get him to a new emotional place, whatever. He bought a, like a priest costume from a Halloween store, and when he would turn around, you could see he had a T-shirt with the Yankees logo that would just poke through. <laughs> and I said to Kimberly, like, "Oh, isn't that funny? It's like the, you can see the Yankees logo, but who, we don't know who's who's going to tell him." And she goes, "The costume designer." I went, "Oh, costume designer! Oh, that's adorable. We don't have anything <laughs> like that." If you've ever seen the movie Waiting for Guffman, it was a lot of that type okay. of stuff. Just like, just everything's a little bit yeah. wrong. And this is your first, like, this is your first time yes. doing this stuff. Yeah, aside from like being in a play star of play when I was like eight years old at school. This is like my first like acting experience in so New York. When you when you start doing this, so like you're in you're in these two plays, you're doing the rehearsal and all this. Yeah. What are the things that strike you about these people versus comedians? Like Ooh, um, what is like that that vibe shift between these two worlds like for you? It depends because a lot of them were just sort of normal and chill which was really good actors a lot of times are either the most interesting person you've ever met or the most vapid and sufferable person you've ever mm. met and you just pray that you get the cool one yeah um so a lot of people were really interesting they had other jobs one of them was a high school drama teacher and he was great another guy does this and they were wanted to hear about stand-up there was mm. actually in the second play i did there was another comic uh, two two more comics in it that I've done shows with since. So like it was a little bit of that that was more like banter when we'd be together. And then there was there was uh, some people who were good. Mm-hmm. There was one guy who was really good, and he was really 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 attractive. But he he you could tell he was used to everyone just eating out of the palm of his hand. Yeah, and I saw right through it. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't. So for the rest of the entire run of the play, he was trying so hard to make me like dude that had like abs wanted my <laughs> approval so badly. <laughs> it was a power dynamic I've never felt before. Whoa. But so if I had to say a difference, um. Actors are not always getting together and talking about like, you know, acting's the only real truth telling anymore. Like the worst parts <laughs> yeah. of comedy from 25 year old white men is not happening at in the acting. Right, right. Now, also, to be fair, I was with 
community theater actors who hadn't had crazy success so they didn't have a crazy ego right they all had lives and families and stuff so they were just doing it for fun so they had a good perspective like we were saying before where they weren't insufferable and they were just sort of nice um but it definitely was a vibe of you know there wasn't as much talking as you would at an open mic before it starts and it also was if there was talking it was not about the same like three things because yeah i, I feel, love comics but sometimes it's like the same three things come up and i'm like ugh. i feel like comedy is like i've been saying this recently comedy is like a high school yeah it's just high school it's, it's just a floating like, high school you, yeah you just know so many people and yep. too you know too much about too many other people yep. and you're just always in the same places together and you're just kind of like well we all know like yep i don't know your name yeah. but i do know all your secrets yeah. so uh <laughs> it's it's like uh it's like this i don't know the um gabby jordan brown very good friend of mine her her girlfriend uh sylvie (laughs) said something great she was like yeah i guess one time she goes yeah i like i like hanging out she's not a comic she goes i like hanging out with your comedian friends they're all nice and stuff but like i never know what they're talking about either like oh yeah how was your set last night like the janky thigh (laughs) The what? The janky thigh, you know. The I'm like, janky. Uh, okay. And it's like I'm like that's a hundred percent what it's like yeah. hanging out with comedians. Is people like asking all these things that if you don't, if you're not in the comedy world, you're like, what the hell yeah. is going? On? Yeah, and they're angry about things that you don't know exist. Like, yeah. <laughs> did you see what happened when this guy did this thing on this platform called janky thigh? Like, I didn't know janky thigh existed. Yeah. I, and it's like it's such a bubble. Yeah. And I feel like theater, I'm sure there's a theater bubble in some way, but it seems like there's so much theater happening in so many different spots that yeah. the overlap between people is probably minimal. Yeah, and the play I was doing had some some crossover because it was a festival. Okay. And, and it was like I said, it was a not I wouldn't say grueling schedule because I was having fun, but like I would do uh the first play and then i would have like two hours to go fuck off and i would go like see cats in the theater because it was so funny <laughs> and then i would come back and do wait until dark and the next day i would do wait until dark and then i would go see star wars and then i'd come back and then i'd have to stay really late and do another show and like mm-hmm. it was kind of like a it was a grind but it was a grind i was very grateful to have at the moment because like the comedy grind had worn on me so much that yeah. like scar tissue had built up where I was like, I can't feel joy from this right yeah, now. Yeah. So it felt good to be doing something that was performance, but it was a different thing. Mm-hmm. And just when I, when I'm at my best, I think comedically, it's when I'm not worried about this has to be funny. I'm like, this has to be just coming from the place I'm right. Like we were saying that you can be more earnest. Mm-hmm. And so when it was all just be earnest and I get to play with like, you know, little things that I wanted to do, it felt, like it was going much better. And also when you're in a play, you're surrounded by other people. Right. But I got to add little things. There wasn't a whole lot of acting that I didn't wait until dark because I had two lines and I just had to flash on a flashlight. Mm-hmm. But the serial killer, so my uh this this is gonna get dark, but we'll just I'll just tell you what. So so the play ends with the guy goes to the chair, um, and I'm the guy who replaces him in his cell. And it does it's not really narratively satisfying. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to add something just for me so it would feel like a thing. And so they they what ends up happening is one of the guys uh, off to the side realizes who I am and says my crime. And it's like a I think I went into a house and like killed a bunch of sorority girls. Mm-hmm. Like I I did like a bad big thing. Yeah. And I thought, okay, this guy is scary. I'm not scary. I'm adorable. How can I make adorable scary? Oh, I'll <laughs> act like I think I'm adorable. So what I did was when when they would say, oh, you're Joe Roselli. And I go, yeah. And they go, 
you're the one who broke into that sorority house and killed half a dozen women. And he goes, oh, I'm a big fan or whatever the line was. And I just gave this like not quite Joker laugh. It was like a little kid laugh. Mm -hmm. But it Ray reads as Joker laugh because then you're like, ugh. And then I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm like a little celebrity with this guy. And then so the priest then comes in and gives this like speech about whatever the point of the show is. And I decided that I was when we the lights kind of dim because, you know, dude's just been killed in the chair. And that's when, like, I have this look on my face like, oh, no, this is feeling real. I'm going to die at some point because I'm on death row now, too. And the priest comes in and I gave myself this backstory that, like, oh, my guy was a lapsed Catholic. And he hears this priest say something that actually makes him feel better. And like, what a strange way to end my life that that's the source. And so I gave myself this like pained smile, but mm. my eyes look like I'm going to cry. And that was the blackout. So I did a whole lot of stuff. Nobody asked me to, to amuse myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I, I walked away going with that. I'm like, I think I can act. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's cool. I, I don't know if that answered your question, but <laughs> I can't remember the question. That's I okay. either. I, I fly by the seat of my pants in this show. Okay. <laughs> but it's like an interesting thing. Like the, those like little nuances, that's stuff I have not picked up on comedy yet. I am, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm fully accepting. I'm still learning, but like doing like facial stuff to get laughs mm -hmm. is like still haven't mastered that. I, like some people are like, oh, I do this facial expression. I know how to do this. I can repeat this. I'm like, uh -huh. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those that worked in the moment because I yeah. felt like that in the face. And, that, and that's the thing is that like, um, the nuances of it. Like I, I love jokes where. The point is that you're acting one way, but you're saying whatever you're saying contradicts it. I can't do it. It yeah. doesn't work for me <laughs> because I'm too earnest a person. I have to literally, I can't do jokes where I'm in a character, even if it's just me being me, but a different side of me. Yeah, where yeah. I have to just speak as me because otherwise it just doesn't, I get too in my head and it doesn't work. Yeah. So that's why I think I'm incentivized to live more of my life so I can be a better character, mm -hmm. basically. Because <laughs> so I can't build stuff around it. So in your in your time like uh, doing theater and stuff, what are some of the takeaways you have brought to stand up comedy? Oh, um, I think it's the the main takeaway I probably took is that a I am capable of other stuff. Don't freak out if this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. B look at everyone having fun here. They're getting paid, but it's not that much. I got paid more doing theater than I ever did comedy mm. for a short stint. Um, and it's just we're having fun doing a thing and no one's driving each other crazy and it's not a grind. We're just doing it like rem remind yourself that that's the place it should come from. Mm -hmm. And also the thing it, it further kind of strengthened the thing I brought to comedy at that point and then to acting, which was all the lessons I learned from the acting books because I would you know, I'd now used them uh, of okay. like, you know, make sure that if I want the audience to feel this way, OK, I can't just do a thing that's going to make you have to actually feel the thing so that they watch you and they feel whatever you're feeling or they feel a certain way watching you feel that way because of the context. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I forgot to tell you that, so the point of my other story with the, the doing the adorable laugh. So I went and I actually brought my, my friend that was the, the Roseanne writer and yeah. watching him do me. That was another for like, Oh cool. Like someone like half sort of famous, like who has this big career, watched me and said, I did a good job. It was like really cool. And he's just such a great friend. I love, I love him. Um, he, he goes, I was in the lobby while you were, you know, getting changed, and this woman just goes, "What a cute rapist!" <laughs> oh. oh my god! Because <laughs> that's also what my character did. I just didn't want to. Say. <laughs> I forgot to mention that part. A uh, reverse trigger warning. Sorry, yes, guys. Sorry about that. <laughs> but that's good. Yeah, we get that. So I did my I did my job. Nice. That's dope. Did you do so? And then after those two wrap, that's when pandemic starts. Yep. Hit almost immediately. I. I 
I had a breakup. I did some plays, and then the pandemic hit. It was a strange half a year. Wow, what a what an overhaul! Yes. for a lifestyle. Oh boy, my <laughs> life went through some ch 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 changes. So, and then you said during the pandemic, that's when you just start. You're like, it's musical time. We're gonna write a musical. Yeah, because I had to do something. Yeah, and, and I also then realized like, oh, I think I kind of know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah. I would, I showed a couple songs to my podcast co-hosts. And they were like, this is like competent. And I was like, you tell me if I wrote a bad song. They're like, yes, we would tell you. This isn't a bad song. So eventually, I don't know when it's going to happen. But when we make the demo, I have to get somebody to clean up. Because my demos sound like trash. They're all in bad rhythm and stuff. I think the writing is there. But it's just me. I don't have a keyboard keyboard. It's me typing MIDI notes into my garage band and uh, and singing into my micro into my computer, not even a nice microphone, um, and doing the harmonies and there's mm -hmm. bleed on the set. Like it's it sounds bad. I would never show it to a producer, but um, I need to get someone to record that and shine it up nice, and then I need to get singers to sing the stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I like I said, I I don't have a bad voice. I'm like great for karaoke, but bad by singing singing standards. So mm. I wouldn't want me to be on the the demo because also I write stuff that is like out of my league singing style. It's it's kind of cool, honestly, in that type of art form that like you can write this thing and yeah. you don't even have to be able to do it. Yes, you know, it's really, really <laughs> stand up is like you write yeah. it, you got to carry that whole thing up the mountain. <laughs> yeah, and that's what, when when I get down about comedy, part of me is like, I've learned to write. Mm -hmm. I think I can write. I had a I had some I had a sketch job writing for Ralphie May when he had a podcast. Oh, years really? Ago. Yeah, I wrote for a CBS podcast that lasted for all of 40 seconds, but mm. I, I did it. Um, <laughs> the Ralphie May one was fun because he it was sketches and he read them and he like really, really liked them. And that made me happy because I grew up watching him on like Last Comic Wow. Day. How long did you do that for? Um, I They did two of my sketches and then I think they stopped doing the podcast because it was him and his wife and they were getting a messy divorce. Um, uh, yeah. So what you were doing, like you were on there for a couple weeks or something? Yeah, or? I gave him, I gave him just a, just a packet of stuff as an audition, and then it was so sweet because the guy that got me the job was the, the producer, and so they, he recommended me. And he goes, I was at an open mic, a sad open mic, and I got a phone call. He goes, Hey, I just want to tell you, and this is gonna be toot my own horn, but it's just such a sweet story. He goes, I just want to tell you, um, we're recording the stuff here, and Ralphie May is fucking up the sketches because he's laughing too hard. Just so you know, that's Whoa. how much he likes these. I was like, ah, <laughs> holy heart. shit, dude. Yeah, I'd, I would like, I would get up, I'd walk out of that mic. I'm yeah. like, I'm gonna get myself some pizza. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. I, I'm sure I bought that with the first paycheck I got from it. So. That's sick. Wow. Yeah, what and a I still cool have. Thing. I can. I think they're still up. I wrote a sketch called Roman Polanski's Discount Furniture <laughs> about a man who just happened to be named Roman Polanski, but he was just a furniture salesman. But everyone thinks he's the real guy, so he just gets death threats all day, <laughs> and he's trying to do a commercial. But it's just about how sad his life is. But please buy some furniture. <laughs> so I was very proud of it. That's sick. So, That's really so cool. point being, like, okay, if comedy doesn't work out probably won't because that's just not what it works out yeah. for everybody i've developed other skills by putting in the effort i learned i probably learned a lot of good lessons for writing music from mm -hmm. doing comedy of feeling like balancing tones and um and just putting in the work until something feels right and having multiple options yeah because yeah. i'm i love to have a joke where i'm like i know this is the premise let me just write every punchline i can think of and i'll work through all of them. Mm -hmm. And if none of them work, that sucks, but maybe one will have something. And so when you have a collaborator, and also it's so much easier working with a collaborator because they get you out of your head. Yeah. So I can say, hey, I have this song in mind. I have these two riffs. I've looked at this for way too long. I can't tell what's what anymore. Pick one so I can move on. And he'll go, that one. Cool. And then I can go back to doing yeah, the work. Yeah. And um, it's been pretty 
it's it's been kind of a nice confidence boost because he's never said you wrote a bad song. He's, yeah, yeah. He's said I want to change this lyric. I want to do this mm-hmm. to the point where I recently was like, you tell me if I wrote a bad yeah, song, yeah. right? And he's like, oh yeah, I tell you when you write things I don't like all the time. I'm like, okay, just checking that you weren't like afraid to tell me because yeah. <laughs> you've never given me a musical note ever. So mm-hmm. Am I just killing it that hard? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's great though. I think yeah. like what you got going on is like. It's nice to have a, such a well-rounded experience and like your foot in multiple creative doors in a yeah. way, you know, it's like I'm kind of viewing it like I don't know if I'm ever going to have a big stand up break. I don't even like I hope I can. I hope I can yeah. figure it out and like get what makes me good and like tie it all up and be like, I'm proud of this. But like I kind of view like stand up is kind of like this like it's like the tree trunk of like all these other things, yeah, it you ties know? them together. You like I, like do all these other things like podcasts or other types of projects, like whatever it might be. At the end of the day, I can always return to stand up if one of those branches doesn't go very far. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I like I get down to myself because I've been doing it for so long, and mm-hmm. I'm still just sort of at the bar show level. Mm-hmm. Um, like we were, I think I was, it might have been one of your mic. It was definitely a tiny covered mic. Whoever someone in the room before was like let's go around and say how long we've been doing comedy i was like oh no mine can vote that's <laughs> really yeah i started when i was 19 oh that's true wow and it was infrequent in college but i hit the ground running when i was in out of college i was 22 yeah so i'm like yes bro not gonna happen but, <laughs> but you know it's but, part of my life yeah i mean it's a cool thing i think you're funny oh thank I think you i appreciate funny. that so <laughs> i've been in my head lately so that actually kind of warms my heart it's good uh we we all need it yeah. i i you i make sure to tell people yes. every once in a while because the the grind is brutal it's numbing it's yeah. not even painful <laughs> at a certain point it's like numb like i said it's like scar tissue at a certain point yeah and it's like i'll get in my head and be like I don't know what any of this is anymore. I'm just where, and that's when I'll do a bad set and then I'll feel worse. Mm-hmm. And then it could just take one person, like like I said, the kind of collaborator effect to go like, oh yeah, that was just uh, either fix this or, or just like, oh no, that was good. It's just maybe you talk too fast or whatever, or I like you, you're funny. Yeah. Do you want to start a Gundam podcast? Yeah. <laughs> and then I feel great again and then I do great again. <laughs> and then we get listener mail. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> Possibly free Guinness if we want to pony up a ticket to Ireland. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fergal, thank you. It's crazy. Like, I, I think it's good to, to have those, like, moments, though, because, yeah. dude, it is just, you're right, it's like scar tissue. It's brutal. It just takes forever, and there's no clear path forward a lot of times. That's the thing that drives me crazy, Is and I yeah. talked to my, my friend Jay about this. He's a, He's got a great YouTube show called Previewed, so he's actually making money from a sort mm-hmm. of comedy thing now. Um it used to be, and I don't want to be one of those podcasts that's like, let's talk about the history of comedy yeah, again. Yeah. But it is interesting. Like, it used to be you would do, you would hang out at the comic strip and there was an audition night mm-hmm. and you would do your set. And if you were watchable, you would get on and you would graduate to more and more nights and you could actually start working there. And you wouldn't make mm-hmm. a lot of money, but you would do some. And then maybe you would be uh, get an audition for The Tonight Show and that could skyrocket you or you'd get Letterman or something. Right. And it was a long shot, but it was a path that was laid out for you. Yeah. And now it's just this nebulous atomized thing like, okay, I know I have to work at this, but I don't know, and especially because I've been around through a lot of phases of comedy i'm like i don't know what i'm supposed to do anymore i got a tiktok <laughs> last week because i didn't know what else to do yeah i feel like i started posting clips on tiktok like i mentioned earlier in this episode yeah. and the first few times i did it i was like oh man 
Like, <laughs> it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good because I'm just like, I hope you guys like me. But also it's like you need TikTok likes and followers to get booked on other types of stuff now. Mm-hmm. You need like a following. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I'm not a comedian. I'm like a content creator now because yeah. I'm putting this out here. And it's all blurry. Yeah. My, I, yeah. My TikTok, like I, it's, I've only got like five videos up, but I just basically will put it. I'll say a joke that I was going to tweet because I am actually kind of proud of my I don't have a great social media following, but I feel like social media is a good place for me to write because I'm very good at just crunching unnecessary words yeah, out of yeah. a joke. Uh, oftentimes better than if I'm trying to talk it out. Yeah. So I'm really good. I, I don't think I'm, I'm not killing Twitter, but I'm good at Twitter on some level, mm-hmm. I think, because I'm really good at brevity. Yeah. And so I'll just say jokes that I was going to tweet anyway, and I'll, the tweet will get like 25 looks, not even likes, just like, you yeah, got yeah. this many engagement. I'll look at a joke I just said into the camera and it's like a thousand, I'm like, what? Yeah. There's no likes, but a thousand people like looked at it. But also then I get in my head, I'm like, okay, all my TikTok videos are just me about to say words. So it just looks like me at various points of like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. And I'm like, is this <laughs> off-putting to, yeah. the, to, the, to the Zoomers, to the Gen Z? <sighs> I don't know. It's it's hard to predict what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. I think just make make stuff that you like. Like when you see yeah. other stuff, just make stuff that's like just that. Just make stuff. the Patriot the musical because exactly. your friend asked you to and Exactly. And once the Patriot the Musical is done and you do a good you get a video recording of it, make clips, yeah. put it on TikTok, people might be like, yo, Patriot the Musical was <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean we we're, we're the way we looked at it uh was Hopefully we get this out in a certain window because it's also kind of, because it's a parody of the Patriot. It's also kind of, and we're both super lefties, Miles yeah, yeah. and I. Like, um, so it's also kind of a backdoor parody of Hamilton a little bit because we go into the history that they leave out. So like, the way De- and I'm not gonna say it would ever be as successful, but the way Deadpool came out at the right time because we were getting a little Marvel numb. I feel yeah. like we could scratch that itch a little bit for people going like, okay, Hamilton's great, but like I went on a date the other day, and she goes, I love that show, but it is the most liberal thing I've ever seen, as mm. in centrist left. Yeah. Went, oh yeah, it's it's trust the process, the musical. Yeah. It's great, but that's what it is. And she's like, oh thank God you agree. So I feel like we're we're at a point where making fun of it would would be good, and also it's I think a really um, it's not a great movie, but there's a great movie in there, and it's a sweet story about a man trying to reconcile his violent past with trying to pass on a much more peaceful future to his children. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's great things about that movie. I don't think I don't I don't have the nostalgia for it that Miles does because it was his idea, but I've grown to like kind of have a soft spot for it. How many times have you watched it? I think I've watched it once all the way through. Just once? Just once all the way through. I've seen it the beginning a bunch of times because I also <laughs> I or I did a. I'll watch through where I didn't have the sound on, but I just looked at the li- the lyrics, the dialogue and subtitle because I yeah. was trying to get little ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen, I've seen, I've I've spent a lot of time around that movie, but I think I've only sat down and paid attention f- for the right reasons of a movie like once. <laughs> and even then, I think I was like still taking notes. And kind stuff. of a relief. I was worried you were going to be see like I've seen it like a hundred and seven no. times. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. It's it like I said, good movie, not great movie. <laughs> Plus, I don't want to spend that much time with Mel Gibson. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> no, that'll, that'll be cool. I think uh, like something like that is like a fun thing that you can make. You can spend time on. You can yeah. make it put it out in whatever form it comes yeah. out and you can just be proud of the thing you made. You yeah. Know? I'm in a really good place with it right now because mm-hmm. comedy, it's so easy because especially you're around competition all the time and it's a community in a lot of ways, but they, we are kind of, you yeah. know, fighting over the same resources. 
I don't know. Any, I'm sure musical theater is like that too, but I'm not I'm not part of it. I'm doing this on my own. Right. So I'm in a really good perspective place with this where I just want to walk down the street and listen to a cast album that I wrote. I just want it to exist. <laughs> and that's yeah. a really healthy place. And I'm trying to get back there with comedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like, I've had to go through all of this scar tissue to make this like, okay, it's probably not going to work out. That's why you should have more fun now. That's, yeah. that's okay. And where we're is with musical theater, I'm in that place right now, so I'm trying to really hold on to it. Right. Because I know if you make your, your life out of it, I mean, Stephen Sondheim wanted to quit at a certain point because it wasn't fun anymore. Like, yeah. the best guy wanted to quit, you know? Yeah. Because he got bad reviews for a, a show and it, like, broke his, broke his heart. But, like, and I'm trying to ch- kind of cherish the outsiders, too pretentious a term, but, like, the novice mm. of it, like this is my first time. I yeah. just threw everything I emotionally had at it, and I'm having a lot of fun, and I can't wait for it to just be a thing. Yeah, and that's a really good place for any art, I think, to come from. Absolutely, I just want it to be a thing to make yeah. me happy. That's the best thing ever. Like it's like if you keep making stuff like that, you're yeah. not gonna be unhappy with yeah. it. You know, like I feel like this this podcast, "Don't Quit Your Day Job," is one of the things I'm most proud of. And it's not it's not like a groundbreaking podcast by any means. I just interview people about the shit they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I walk away from it and I think like, oh, one day there could be five or six hundred episodes of this. And God only knows who I'm going to get on this show. I'm so proud of it, even yeah. if my listener base isn't huge. And like the the watch from Mercury, like has given me a taste of what it's like to have a real listenership. Yes. And I'm like, I love this. But I like I like I can do this for the joy and I can do other shows about my interests for the following. Yeah. No way. I don't know. I got recognized by two people at Broadway Con for Broadway Baby and I was over the moon. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. <laughs> they were like, wait, are you? Huh? Because I was with, granted, I was with Kimberly, who's the yeah. co- And they were there to see her much bigger live podcast. But then I talked and they went, oh, it's yeah. you. I was like, yeah. And he, like those little moments are like, that's like making it. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like, oh, you're like a household name. But yeah. like, you've made an impact on someone enough that they wanted to say hi. Yeah. Somebody you know? asked me for a picture once. Ugh. So good. Holy shit. So good. I still have it on my phone. I asked it for her to send it to me. There was someone who, oh no, so that's how I feel whenever we get listener mail on the Gundam podcast. Is yeah. I'm just like, you guys like us enough mm-hmm. to talk to us and, and to send your stuff in? And they're so nice and they're so lefty and I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's the best. That's the best. <laughs> it's like, okay, we all we can all get this. this as we've said, our show is half anime, half communist screeching. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you we, we're upfront about it. And so the people who show up for it know what they're going to get. There are there are the Gundam fan base, unfortunately, does have a lot of old guys with problematic views. With I'm sure it. it does. But like we've just I we haven't gotten any hate mail. We've yeah. just gotten great. That's when you know, we made it. Yeah. When people are like <laughs> telling you that word cuck is going to end up in that email at one point, yeah. And that's when you know we made it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, getting like people getting so worked up. But it's cartoons. Okay? Yes, it is cartoons. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think, again, that's a good attitude. It's jokes, it's yeah. cartoons, it's musical notes. Why are you acting like this is a bodybuilding contest? Yes. How many how many sets did you grind today? Jokes. Yeah, jokes. it's like have fun. I'm just like I'm at the point where I'm like I'm trying to just do a little bit of everything I like. Yeah. A little bit like a little bit at a time just so eventually can grow into something bigger, yeah. you know? And it's like weekly podcasts, love it. You do a little bit of maintenance every week, okay? Do the show, mm-hmm. edit, post, good. And then you can do like I do that a couple times. I write jokes every day. I've been doing that for like two months now. 
like I've been just every single day I write, which was a challenge for me before because I'm like big on riffing and stuff, but yeah. now I'm, I'm sticking to it. And it's okay. paying off. And just the other day I started, I'm now doing a one mecha drawing per day. And I'm not a good artist. Oh, what? One mecha, just drawing oh, like mecha. a. My head went to the Islamic pilgrimage. Yeah. Mecca. <laughs> I am not. I draw the, the Kaaba every day. <laughs> yes. uh, no, it's like, but just something like that because it's like, my interests, my nerdy interests, yeah. it's giant robot shit. It's Battletech and it's Gundam. Yeah. I love Mecha. It's just what it is. So I'm like, oh, you know what? If I'm writing jokes every day, I should have something that I also draw every day when I need to get my head, like when I need to think of something to yeah. write for jokes because I have my notebooks open. Yeah. So I should just diversify and like do these things, you know, like, yeah. like write every day, draw every day. I'm learning Chinese every day and Duolingo. Nice. Yeah. Lingo. What I found is that um, I used to try to write every day, but then it just... The, the well would run dry because I wasn't doing enough stuff. Mm. So now I'm like, okay, do more stuff. Yeah, Cause then I important. write down, especially like doing Jeet Kune Do, I had just so many thoughts about it and how I felt uncomfortable. And I, when I started to gain confidence and then I started sparring at yeah. it and I got a godson and I have material, but I like, I, I need to, especially like I was saying for someone whose jokes come from a place where I can't use me joke mechanics to, mm. to, and not that joke mechanics are, are bad. Some people use them really brilliantly. Oh, I have to just tell you exactly what I'm feeling and hope that it is funny. I better have more to say than just, I've been doing too many mics and it's bumming me out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, but then it's, again, that's also hard. Like, okay, I need to balance not being rusty with being interesting. Yes. How much time do I spend? Yeah. And that's a whole gaslighty dance too. But point being, the more stuff you do, uh, more stuff I do, then it's like, oh, on the ride home from from visiting my my godson, I'm just going to write down all the stuff that happened. And maybe one of them will end up being yeah. funny. But it's like, I got the, the richness of experience and that's what becomes relatable. It is one thing I've noticed that's wild is like literally my well will be dry for like a week. Of like I got really nothing. Yeah. Maybe even like a month. And then I'll go on like a one week vacation and I'm like, how did I write 20 things in one day? Yeah, like <laughs> that's a thing. That's a thing. The, um, there's a story. I don't remember the exact context. FDR was trying to figure out some presidential matter and went on like a yachting trip for like three weeks, came back and solved it. Yeah. Like that's good for a human brain. And I think that's like the, the thing in comedy is there's, there's like a self-imposed shame about not doing it every yes, moment you that can. that I internalized so badly. Yeah, it was and it's bad like, for my comedy. But the truth is, it's like the more well-rounded you are as a person, yeah. the more things you have to talk about. Like, do you like these these like millionaire like mega LA comics, right? Do you think they're doing stand-up every waking moment of every day? No, they're like hanging out. They're smoking cigars. They're going to like shoot guns. They're going to yeah. the beach. They're going on vacation. They're hanging out with their families. Like they have all these other things going on that fuels their stand up. Yeah. And us like in New York, we're like, it's cold <laughs> and you should be going to four open mics tonight. You yeah. know, it's like I no. uh, I got um, the Sam Jackson masterclass video okay. when I was really trying to learn acting. And he said, one of the things you want to do with a character is when you leave the screen, the audience should go, I want to follow that guy. Mm. I want to keep, where's he going? I want to go, where did he come from? Where, and I think that's a good lesson for stand-up is have the audience go, oh, but I want to see more of what, you're going to somewhere interesting and you came from somewhere interesting because you said all that interesting stuff. Dude, I'm going to start writing cliffhangers in my jokes. Yes! <laughs> and my so the cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end my set with unresolved trauma and yeah. have the audience be like, tension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, we are at time here. I'm going to ask you the final two questions. It's okay. going to be the same question, but for two po topics. Okay. Answer whatever order you feel like and however you feel like. Cool. 
One, what do you love about theater? Two, what do you love about stand-up comedy? What I love about theater is, um, if you want to say broadly, I'll say I'll, I'll say musical theater, is that uh, it's a story that is made of music. And I know mm. that sounds pretentious as hell, but you're using notes and lyrics to basically make a movie that you see right in front mm-hmm. of you. And, you know, that's why I... I I love musical movies as well. Some people don't like them as much as the real experience. I don't necessarily need that. I want the math of the of of how the the song pushes the story and what do you learn mm-hmm. and what comes back and you know things like that. Like the the equation of it, yeah. the, the plot math of it is very interesting to me because you're using an art form that is not anything that ever happens in real life and you're wedging this poetry thing into real life and you're yet somehow making it feel somehow more real with the conceit. Mm, I love that. Interesting. And what I love about stand-up is it's a way for you to fully articulate how you feel in a way that will make you feel seen and hopefully you, you articulate it in a way that makes the other people feel seen in a way Hmm. and it's like okay i'm not crazy right cool and it's a there's a relief in that whoa i like that a lot the making making the audience feel seen as well yeah i'm i'm taking that one i'm gonna i'm gonna think about that i got a lot to marinate on the last few episodes but that one's like a that one's solid yeah and the math of jokes also is very beautiful to me as well it's like like comedy is like telling a story with your penis like <laughs> it's like a movie that you it's, wrote with your butthole uh, <laughs> it's a movie written with your penis about your penis yeah. it's mainly penis stuff i always say this is like every comic will just say oh we're just telling dick jokes you yeah. know it's funny because very few people have dick jokes mm-hmm. but that's what we think of what we make we're yes. like, it's all just dick jokes yeah the <laughs> yeah we have like an internalized shame about what we do it's yeah, kind of strange I, and right, yet a crazy ego about it as well yeah they kind of bump up against each other it's i'm weird. like writing a joke about like being married and how many photos I have about my wife and I'm like that's just a dick joke like it's <laughs> totally irrelevant it's not there's no it's dick not coming in from it. a real place yeah. and then you write a joke about your dick that's actually something about your opinions you're like how did that happen how did that yeah <laughs> earnest right. dick jokes thank you so much for coming on this thank is a great episode uh, where can people find you you can find me uh, at Alex Fasella A-L-E-X-F-O-S-S-E-L-L-A on Instagram. Double a- S, double L. Yeah. Uh, a Fasella on Twitter before that is just lost to the ether. Rest in peace. Um, and I'm on TikTok at Alex Fasella. And also you can catch me on a little show called Watch from Mercury. Yeah. Uh, if, which... if you guys are into Gundam, yeah. check it out. Uh, that's what I would do with him. Anyway, guys, uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for this having me. This is dope. Thank you so much for listening and watching, guys. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening. Um, But yeah, really appreciate you guys, and I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.